The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Tech Talk Radio. It's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Andrew Mitchell. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Andrew Mitchell. And much is going on in technology as always. Huawei CFO Meng Wanchao is going to be released, finally. We'll talk a bit about that story. Microsoft moves to eliminate passwords. I didn't get to that last week, but this is an important trend because... We all hate passwords. China has announced again that it is illegal to conduct transactions with cryptocurrency, and that has uh, sent the market spinning. They keep announcing this. Uh, I think eventually people are going to believe them. Uh, The U.K. appeals court has ruled that artificial intelligence cannot be listed as a patent inventor. It has to be a person. So that will be an interesting uh, development there. Uh, This week we're going to feature Moxie Marlin Spike. He's best known as creator of the Signal Messaging System. And I'm sure that's definitely his real name, Moxie Marlin Spike. Yeah, Moxie Marlin Spike. We will get into his real name (laughs) later in the show. (laughs) And, of course... It is a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Dear Tech Talk heroes. Oh, I like that oh, sound wow. of that. Wow. Frontline heroes. Oh, little, that's right. Yeah, I, listen to, I listen to the show all the time on 1500 AM and have learned a couple of things. One astounding development was that my wife said she started to enjoy the show, too. And she hates computers. <laughs> I remember when... You were discussing hard drive replacement and that you could simply reload Windows on the new hard drive and it'll work without authorization because Microsoft tracks the computer itself. I I was trying to remove some adware and corrupted my operating system, and I didn't have a backup, so I was uh, in trouble. I I decided to do what you said, install a solid-state hard drive. I removed my old hard drive, which was corrupted, made it an external hard drive by putting into a USB case and um, installed Windows on the solid-state hard drive. And, uh, boy, it really booted faster. And the amazing thing is, just as you said, all my files were on the external hard drive. I could copy them into the solid-state hard drive, and I didn't lose a single thing. Uh, so thanks for saving all my data. I'll continue to listen for more nuggets of wisdom. Tom Schum. Well, that was really a, a, a great feedback, Tom. Thank you for that feedback, and I'm glad your data is safe and that your wife likes the show. Wait, wait, wait. She likes the show, but we still don't know if she actually loves computers now. No, we don't know, no, that. Don't know I, that. I I don't think we've converted her to computers. <laughs> I, I think she likes all the other elements of the show Okay. <laughs> that are non-computer-ish. Yeah. Oh, and Tom, 
Now, don't forget about those backups. That's what got you in the problem in the first place, your backups. So it may be that you'd want to take that external hard drive with that actually had uh, malware on it. Copy your the data files that you want to keep, your Word documents. Your, copy those data files onto your solid-state hard drive. Then I would take and um, delete both partitions in your external hard drive. you got one partition for the Windows systems files, and you got one partition for all of the other applications and data. Delete the two partitions. Create one big partition that spans the whole hard drive. Reformat it, and then... Copy all of your data files, all your Word files, and all the files that you want to preserve. Copy them back to the solid-state hard drive. And so now you actually have it stored. No, copy them back to your external hard drive. So now you've got it stored in two locations, and you can actually then use that external hard drive as a backup. So you won't have a problem going forward operating without a backup. Doc, do you still recommend also going to the cloud as a third sort of form of backup? Yeah, I love going to the cloud. Yeah. I, I do it three ways. I've got external hard drive, I've got cloud backup, and then um, and, and that has worked really well. I, I, you know, I had my, I lost an entire laptop one time, but everything was backed up to Carbonite. Didn't lose a thing. Right. It was perfect. Uh, we got an email from Bob in Maryland. Uh Dear Doc and Andrew, I was surprised to come across this article that speculated that Apple could be forced to kill the lightning connector and adopt the USB-C for iPhones. The EU may finally kill lightning once and for all. Not personally dislike all these not different standards uh, because you keep them by a, a char different chargers. And, but it looks like the EU may force Apple to, to make this shift. Well, that is right, uh, Bob. Uh, the EU does not like all of these different connectors. They think it's wasteful. They think having one connection standard would be much better. And uh, they, in fact, are proposing legislation. It's not passed yet. That all new phones from 2024 onward must use USB-C connections. And this could mean that the iPhone would finally be forced to go to USB-C if that legislation passes. Because I don't think Apple is going to want to have lightning connectors in the U.S. and USB-C connectors in, uh, in Europe. But i got to tell you, Apple's fighting this. They are fighting this tooth and nail. They contend that lightning, connector, that lightning ports are smaller. And that allows them to make the iPhone smaller, and they think that is a real, real advantage. In addition, they say the lightning connector is more reliable because the tabs on it are on the cable itself. The tabs are not in the connector. It's in the connector. On the other hand, the USB-C connector, the tabs are inside of the connector that's in the phone, so it's always the tabs that break. So if you break a tab, you got to remove it from the phone, and that makes the uh, lightning connector more reliable. So they're trying to make a case that the, that, that the EU should make all connectors become yeah. lightning connectors. I mean, you see that coming, right? Before you ended that sentence, I already know where you were headed. Yeah. World domination, it's always the goal. That's right. So, so I, uh, I think if, if the EU actually comes out with that legislation, that would get us along the way. But I think there's a lot of discussion until they get to the end point. We got an email from Lauren in Kansas. Dear Tech Talk, 
I'm always upgrading my smartphone. Now I have so many deactivated phones lying around the house. Is it possible to use the camera portion of these phones for security cams? Or what other applications could I use for these phones? Thanks, Lauren in Manhattan. Well, Lauren, that's a common problem. Everybody's got these phones sitting around, and they're, they're deactivated, so you can't make phone calls. But they still have a Wi-Fi connection. So actually, you could make a WhatsApp call with it. You could make any kind of voice over IP call with it. If you've got a Wi-Fi connection, uh, you know, you connect to the Wi-Fi, and you could use it just like you always do. You could surf the web. You could do many things with it. And one of the really popular applications... Uh, you could play games on it uh, if you wish. But one of the really popular applications, and you've picked it out, is to use it as a webcam. And there are some really good webcam applications out there. So what you do, you, you basically download the app, an app, a webcam app, and you put the, uh, the camera side, you put the camera app on the old phone, and then you put a uh, monitor app, a receiver app, on the other phone, and then you can link them together. So one one of the most popular ones is Alfred. That's the name of it. It Alfred comes at both um, Android as well as uh, as well as iOS um, versions. So you can put it on either phone, and it's probably the best uh, web security app out there. Um, it's, uh, it's really very nicely designed, uh, and you install it on two phones. One, one you use for one you, you install one for the on the phone you're using as a camera and, the, and one the controlling one on the one you're using for viewing. Um, not only do you get streaming footage on the phone, but Alpha, uh, but Alfred also offers a siren feature. If, if you want the phone to like, like make a siren in case somebody's breaking in, it's got two-way talking. It's got motion detection. It's got a low-light filter. There's also a trust circle where you can have many friends would have access to that to that cam if they wanted to see what was going on. And you can even set it up so you could have multiple cams in your house, and you, and you could have a whole house webcam system where you link to all the webcams all over the house. So Alfred is pretty good, but it requires a newer phone. You can't have one of these really, really old phones, but that would probably be a, a good choice. There's also a, a second one, At Home Camera. At Home Camera, it's, uh, it's got a lot of, uh, of useful features, including two-way talk options, night vision, AI learning to recognize moving people as opposed to moving branches or swaying branches for, you know, the motion detection. There's also a mode that gives you a 24-hour time lapse of everything the cam saw in the last 24 hours so you can quickly look for anything suspicious. They got both Android and iOS versions. Now, if your phone has the right sensors, it can automatically start filming if it detects a vibration. Note there are two versions of the app, one for the phone that will act as the cam and one for the, the phone that will, that will control the cam. Uh, so make sure you download the, the right app to the right phone. Now, the last one I'll talk about today is many thing. It actually stands for monitor anything. But if you put the M in front of anything, you have many things. It's a free app that'll convert your iPhone. This is this. I only have the the iPhone application here. It'll convert your iPhone, iPod, uh, iPad into a security cam. Uh, the app is more than just a security cam. It also has its own IFTTT channel. That's this if this then that, where you can trigger certain events. And so that's, uh, that's really a, a nice feature. So, for instance, you could set up an 
if this, then that, if it detects motion, it turns on, say, your your Philips Hue lights. They also support IFTT. So you could actually, if there's a motion detection, it could automatically turn on the lights. So you could set that uh, that webcam up in a room. So you walk in the room, it turns on the lights for you automatically, which is kind of a nice thing. Um, and so it, uh, so you can you, you can it can make a uh, motion detected smart switch. It can be a handy home security tool. Uh, you know, if you just want to see what's going on and you turn on the camera whenever there's motion. So the, there are many, many, they're, they're probably, I started looking around, there are, you know, probably 10 or 15 of these applications, but, but I'll tell you that is a really good application for all of your old phones, uh, Lauren, and so best of luck with that. Yeah, and if you're taking notes at home, again, the three apps are Alfred, like the name, Alfred, At Home Camera, and ManyThing. Yeah, many things. That is right. We got an email from Leslie in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, is there a way to listen to Pandora without Wi-Fi or Internet? You know, I got four acres of grass, and it, sure, and it gets boring out there. And I'd love to have Pandora with me, but I only got it, you know, I only listen to it in the house when I've got Wi-Fi. Leslie in Fairfax. Well, Leslie, uh, uh, Pandora does have an offline mode. And it lets you download three stations. But you have to have the paid version of Pandora for this. You can't have the free version. And you can download three stations. And it will give you enough playtime while you're out there. I mean, I, I actually have – I've actually activated the offline mode on my Pandora because I don't listen to radio in the car anymore. I listen just to Pandora. And so if I go through a stretch of road where there's no cell connect connectivity, where I get no Internet access – it just switches to the offline mode and keeps playing music. I don't even notice it. So it, it, it is very convenient. Uh, so you can certainly do that when you're out out and about uh, mowing the grass. But there's, now, a, there's a finite number of songs, though, that you've downloaded at that point, right? Yeah, it's, it is a finite number. It's, it, it, you know, it's, uh, it's probably – I probably have a couple of hours maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, but, I, but I'm just sort of in and out. But the, the, the number of songs that are downloaded depends on how much hard drive space you'll let Pandora use. Okay. So you can – it just depends on how much space you'll give it. Yeah. Um, but it's really convenient when, when I'm driving, and it, and it would work for this application. Now, on the other hand, I, I, you know, I use Pandora whenever I'm not around Wi-Fi. I just stream it over my data connection. Because it turns out, you know, audio files do not take that much data. Video files take a lot. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, the standard setting for um, for uh, a stream in Pandora is uh, 64 kilobits per second. That would be the sampling rate, 64 kilobits per second. and uh, Or that's 480 kilobits per minute. Or about 23 megabytes per hour. If you, that's a standard setting. Now you can go to a higher quality setting of 128 kilobits per second, but then that's just more, more time. So, just to give you an idea, if you would stream Pandora at 64 kilobits per second, that's what I do. I, you can choose the quality of the stream if you're downloading this over the air. So I've chosen 64 kilobits per second. And, and I probably listen three to five hours a day uh, on cellular. That's only 0.23 gigabytes a month. 
So that is, a, that is much below my limit on data. So I just listen to it all the time, and I don't worry about the, uh, about the data. Uh, we got an email from Alan in Manassas. Dear Doc, I'm thinking about tinker, tinkering around with Linux on my with my old laptop. What version looks and acts most like Windows? I'm ready to experiment and learn something new. Alan. Well, Alan, that's a great idea. You know, if you want to be in IT, you need to know multiple operating systems. And, and the, the nice thing about Linux, it's not uh, resource intensive. So you can take an old laptop and install Linux on it, and it will like be seem like a new machine because... Linux will be quite happy with the capacity of your old laptop that maybe was uh, not so well suited to Windows because it was a little sluggish. Windows is known to be a resource hog. So if you want to, you know, in the, if you want to just have something that's been around for a while that looks like standard Windows, uh, I've always recommended Linux Mint with the Cinnamon desktop. Linux Mint with the Cinnamon desktop. So you can just go to linuxmint.com. And you can download that, linuxmint.com. Search around for the Cinnamon desktop. Now, but we're, but we're just having Windows 11 coming out now. And as it turns out, Windows FX has created a, Lin, a Linux distribution that really looks like Windows 11. And you can just go to windowsfx.org, and you can, you can uh, look around for the Windows, uh, Windows 11 distribution. They now have a, uh, a preview version, which is free to download. Now, just be aware that just like any other Linux distro, Windows FX is going to come with a learning curve, uh, you know, for Windows users who are just giving Linux a, a try for the first time. While the desktop and the start menu and many other screens mimic Windows 11 quite well, it's still Linux underneath with all the advantages and disadvantages that that entails. So you will learn Linux, but at least your, your basic desktop is going to look just like Windows. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Yes, we will. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about WhatsApp and its end-to-end -end encryption. And uh, stick around because we're about to get to know the man who actually created the system, which is used in WhatsApp end-to-end -end encryption. This is Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT! Yes, today we're going to feature Moxie Marlin Spike. Now, that's not his real name. What a surprise. <laughs> his real name is Matthew Rosenfeld, which he, he doesn't really like to go by. But Moxie was his nickname when he was growing up, so that was actually a name that he's had for quite some time. He's an encryptor. He's a cryptographer. He's a computer security researcher, and he's best known as creator of the Signal Messaging Software, which is an end-to-end encryption software, which is actually powering most of the messaging apps that we have out there today. Now, he was born... He Listen, the guy is absolutely secretive. He doesn't want anybody to know about where he was born. Nobody knows who his parents are. Nobody knows if he has a girlfriend. He's just absolutely private. Well, as we know... And we're going to talk in a moment. He believes that everyone has something to hide. So he starts with his childhood. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He has revealed that he was born in the U.S. in Georgia in the early 80s. That's all we know. And he kept pretty much all the other details a secret. Now, he did like to try. He, he did start getting into programming by programming video games on an Apple II in the school library. He did actually reveal this. So we can we, we have a timeline here. We can start working out. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, he, he didn't have a computer at home. He was interested in programming, and so he started working on an Apple II. Now, it turned out that the Apple II did not have a hard drive, um, and it and it didn't it didn't have any kind of storage. So anytime he would like have to type in a program, he couldn't store it. He'd have to retype the whole program. So he started typing in programs from scratch and then drawing graphical forms on the screen. And, and he would create, uh, he would copy, he would, you know, type in the commands and he would get the screen to write all sorts of graphical shapes uh, in response to his program. And that's basically how he started to learn programming. Then he, um, he started uh, browsing the computer uh, uh, bookstore, the computer section of the bookstore, and he found a hard copy of the 2600 magazine. Now, the 2600 magazine, that is the, I guess, the Bible or the catechism of the 1990s hacker scene. All the hackers read 2600. And this was sort of the central document for the hacker culture. Now, finally, his mom bought a cheap desktop computer with a modem so he didn't have to program at the uh, at the library and he and he used that modem to uh, log into bulletin boards all over the world and he found that there was a big place out there and he could and he started logging into these hacker bulletin boards and sort of getting in sort of the whole hacker culture then he started, Hacking, so he would he would hack his friends' computers uh, remotely, and then he would make messages appear on their screen. Uh, and so he he was already hacking right away. I mean, he just 
he couldn't he couldn't help himself. Now he ran a war dialer program overnight, where he would reach out to distant servers at uh, at random to see if he could penetrate them. He just from the very beginning was really interested in hacking uh, computers, learning how they worked, getting involved with security. Now, by his teens, he actually had a job after school working for a German software company, and he wrote develop he wrote uh, and he wrote developer tools for for that company. Now, after graduate after graduating from high school. He said, well, I think I'll just head out to Silicon Valley. This was 1999. He was uh, jobless. He was homeless. He spent his first nights in San Francisco sleeping in Alamo Square Park beside his desktop computer. He carried his desktop computer out there with him. However, I have to say Alamo Park is like the one with the houses. That's the famous iconic picture that everybody, the royal houses in San Francisco. So he oh. picked for a, for a homeless person. He actually picked a very, you know, uh, elegant place to squat for a, a while. Very yeah, a very upscale neighborhood. very upscale neighborhood, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, he found a job programming at BAE-owned WebLogic. Uh, he started working there, but I'll tell you, within <laughs> within weeks, he wanted out. He was bored by the routine of spending 40 hours a week in front of a keyboard. So he quit. And he started squatting in an abandoned building with friends, eventually moving into an old postal service warehouse. <laughs> then he took up hitchhiking. Uh he then, uh, you know, he just thought, well, I'll travel. So he started hitchhiking. And then he upgraded to uh, hopping freight trains. Go farther, faster. Absolutely. And he traveled around the world yeah. hopping freight trains. Yeah. In 2003, he just decided he wanted to learn how to sail. So he spent a few hundred dollars, all the money that he had, actually. He bought a beat-up 20-foot foot Catalina, and he set out alone to sail from San Francisco Harbor to Mexico. And he taught himself how to sail by trial and error along the way. Which is incredibly dangerous. So that tells you a lot about his personality. Yeah. That he, just, he just throws himself out there. Because to learn stuff like that, and if you make a mistake, it can, you, can, you can capsize your boat. There's all kinds of bad things that can happen. It, is, uh, it, 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 you, you can, it can be a, really a disaster. He actually, he actually ultimately earned a, a, a commercial... Uh, um, pilot's license, and he would be delivering boats, sailboats around the world, sailing over the oceans with with his commercial license. Uh, now, the next year uh, after he um, after he sailed down to Mexico on his 27 foot Catalina, he filmed his own do-it-yourself sailing documentary called it Hold Fast. It followed his journey with three friends as they navigate a rehabilitated leaky sloop called Pestilence, from <laughs> Florida to the Bahamas. <laughs> they finally ditched the boat in the Dominican Republic. You see, I guess they were just flying, sailing with the wind. So they decided, well, heck, let's just ditch it here so we don't have to sail back against yeah. the wind. <laughs> now, Marlon Spike always took for granted that authority was the enemy. He describes harbor patrols 
train yard guards who harassed him and his fellow hobo voyagers, cops who evicted him from his squats, hassled him in towns that he and his friends were passing through, impounding their car on what seemed to be a thin pretense. But merely going to dem- by mere- merely going to demonstrations uh, and protesting, he never felt that he could actually properly challenge the world power structures. So he gradually became more of an anarchist. You can see his trend. Around 2007, he turned his political interests back to the digital world. Uh, after he realized that going to demonstrations and holding up signs would not actually produce any material results. And he said, you know, I think I can make an impact in the digital world much better. So he moved back to the digital world, and he realized, and this was back the post-Patriot Act surveillance period, he realized that all the rights that we give to government to surveil us had been used, overused by government. And it was a particularly acute time because first it was the first time really in history that government, the U.S. government in particular, was using the, these new technologies to surveil. And, and, and the Patriot Act sort of started to live on beyond its, its original intent at that point. Too. It did. And yeah. they, they started using, as always, absolute power corrupts. And the Patriot Act corrupted our intelligence agencies to overreach. This was the FBI, the CIA, the DIA. They all overreached because they had all this data there, and they could just pull it up like, you know, at, at will. In 2008, he decided uh, uh, he was going to do something about it. He, um, he squatted in a decrepit brick mansion in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and he started churning out security software. The next year... He appeared at the at the Black Hat Security Conference to demonstrate a program that he called SSL Strip, which exposed critical flaws in web encryption. This is the secure socket layer. This is when you when your browser talks to uh, a website and it sets up a secure communication link through secure socket layer. He found a critical. Uh, secure f- security flaw in that protocol. H- how often are we using SSL? Is it every connection to the internet, or and anytime it says HTTPS? Okay. Every time every it says HTTPS, time. we're using secure software. Yeah, which layer. we use increasingly now. Every website is that. Probably right? everything. I mean, yeah. any, all your emails. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking here at a at a uh, at a story here in, in New York Times. It's it's HTTPS. Right. Uh, in 2010, he debuted. Google sharing, a Firefox plugin that would let anybody use Google services anonymously. In May of 2010, he launched Whisper Systems along with a pair of Android apps, Text Secure to encrypt text messages, and RealPhone to encrypt voice calls. He launched this in May of 2010. He had an Arabic version available during the Arab Spring that exploded in North Africa at that time, and it was ready to aid the Arabic protesters in the Arab Spring 
protests in various countries throughout northern in, Africa. Yeah, all at that over point. the place. Yeah. yeah. Now, <clears throat> this encryption protocol was extremely robust, and uh, Whisper Systems was just taken over the world like gangbusters. So, as you would expect, Twitter noticed, and they bought it. And they bought Whisper Systems in 2011, just the next year. Now, the, now the acquisition was done primarily so they could buy Marlin Spike because uh, Twitter wanted Marlin Spike to revamp their security system because this was back, if you remember back at that time, all these uh, <clears throat> celebrities were having their Twitter accounts hacked. Right. And they wanted to fix this. So there's less of that now, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. So they, they, they brought him on to, to fix that problem. So... Uh, we don't know exactly what they purchased Whisper Systems for. All we know is that Marlon Spike said, uh, it's more money than I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> There's your metric right there. Yeah, more money than he, I've ever seen. <laughs> more money than I've – I mean, the guy's not in this for money, really. But he did make money on it. Um, uh, we looked him up. His net worth is about $46 million now. So he, he did make money out of that transaction for sure. <clears throat> now, in 2011, Marlon Stike presented a talk, Secure Socket Layer and the Future of Auth Authenticity, at the Black Hat Conference in Las Vegas. He outlined many of the problems of certificate authorities, <clears throat> and he had uh, developed many flaws in the certificate authority software, and he announced the release of a software project called Convergence that would replace them. You know, when Marlon Spike went to the first Black Hat conference and he was a speaker, I mean, he didn't have a, you know, a photo of himself. So he just grabbed one off of his phone and it was him sitting on a bike and he had this biker helmet that looked like a, um, uh, looked like a stem of asparagus. So he had this stem of asparagus sticking out of his head. He was sitting on a bike, and that was the photo that I used for the first Black Hat conference. And where do you even buy such a bike helmet? This is what I want to know. I have no right? idea. Right? I don't think I have it's never seen a bike store. helmet. Yeah, like I don't that. think <laughs> he just he just didn't really feel the need to impress anybody with anything except his code. Uh, in 2012, Marlon Spike and Perrin, uh, which was a, a friend he was collaborating with at Carnegie Mellon there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, submitted an interdesk draft for TAC which was to provide secure socket layer certification pinning to help solve these certificate uh, authentication problem to the Internet Engineering Task Force, certificate authority problem. There was a problem that people were able to impersonate certificates, uh, and, there were, and, and they needed to fix this problem, so he, he proposed a solution. Now, <clears throat> he left Twitter in 2013 and started open... Whisper Systems. Oh, let me tell you what, what what prompted him to leave. He, at that time, he was <clears throat> he was out when he was working for Twitter. He was uh, he was out in San Francisco, and he, and they, they had a thirty foot catamaran. He and his friends, and he does not like to pay uh, fees to have it in a harbor. It slip fees. So he had the idea that we'll just take this catamaran, we'll just we'll just anchor it in the San Francisco harbor and leave it there. And so, and so one night uh, they went out to take the cat. Well, I mean, one day they, they, they took the cat. He took the cat. He had two friends follow him in a rowboat because so they could get back. And he got about halfway out to where they were going to anchor it, and a 30-mile-an-hour wind came up. 
Then he told his friends, look, it's too windy. Let's just go back. So his friends turned around and went, went home. It turned out that the, um, that the catamaran had been rigged improperly. So he had to change the rigging by himself in this 30-mile-an-hour wind. And just then, a gust of wind came up and flipped the whole catamaran over right as the sun was going down. He, he tried to swim ashore, but it was too far. So he crawled back on the catamaran. This is like San Francisco, really cold weather. Yeah. I mean, you'll die of of hypothermia out there. Yeah. So it was night, and just by chance, a tugboat came by and saw him and picked him up. By that time, he was so cold that they they had to haul him into the boat. When they got him to the the, uh, hospital, his body temperature was so low— that it wouldn't register on the digital thermometer. But they brought him back, no injury. They saved his life. So you would think that after that experience that he would say, okay, I'm going to quit sailing. No. He came back and he said, I'm going to quit Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is just too much trouble trying to, yeah, avoid fees at the the harbor. Okay, That's right. He said, I'm going to quit. I mean, he had money. He was he was making good money at Twitter. Yeah. But it was the point of paying fees yes. to these harbor masters. Ab- absolutely. So he quit Twitter. Because he doesn't have enough money, by the way, yeah. either, right? So the thing is he quit Twitter because he felt that he should be doing something with his life. And he felt like Twitter was like a sideline. It wasn't his true focus. Mm-hmm. So he, he quit Twitter. He, needed, he had to stay another year. He had another million dollars in stock options that he— that he basically um, gave up by just quitting when he got back. And what he did while he was at Twitter, uh, remember he had developed open systems that Twitter bought. Well, he made, while he was at Twitter, he made open systems, core code, open source, whisper systems, open source. And so after he quit Twitter, he founded Open Whisper Systems, which was an open source version of Whisper Systems. Does that mean you're not making any money once you've opened it up? I mean, people are are using it for free. Yeah, they're using it for free. Now, what happens is, like people uh, say frequently, though, you will have a secondary company that shows people how to use the open source software, and you make your money on consulting. Okay. So like, uh, say, you know, example, um, Moodle, which is an online... uh, online learning platform. Uh, Martin Dugiami wrote that in open source, but he has a consulting company that helps schools implement Moodle. But the actual code itself is free, and it's open source, and there's a community that, that updates it and maintains it. So he uh, founded Open Whisper Systems as an open source project for the continued development of TextSecure, which was encrypted text message, and RedPhone, which is encrypted uh, voice, me- voice, voice messaging, voice calls. Now, at the time, Marlon Spike and Trevor Perrin started developing the Signal Protocol. Now, the Signal Protocol is ultimately what, what is launched everywhere. And they basically built it on top of the open whisper systems, and they, they started developing the Signal Protocol, which was an early version of what was first introduced with Tech Secure. Uh, with the Tech Secure Act back in uh, February of 2014. Now, in November of 2015, Open Whisper Systems unified the Tech Secure and the Red Phone applications into one application called Signal. And that's what's out there, Signal. And that is end-to-end encryption. 
There, there are code experts that have reviewed this code because it's open source. This one code expert reviewed it. It said it brought tears to his eyes. It was so beautiful. Wow. He can write elegant and, and extremely secure code. And it's all open source, so people can, can look at it. Now, now, Marlon Spike's time at Twitter gave him a sense of scale. He realized how big the problem of end-to-end corruption on the in- encryption on the Internet was. And he wanted to provide end-to-end encryption to the world, to everyone, to every man. So just regular Joe Blow who wants to use the Internet can have end-to-end encryption that cannot be seen by the man. And he wanted it done easily. And that became his mission. And that's why he quit Twitter when he almost died on that sailboat. So he, um, he wrote Signal, and, um, and he wanted to deploy it. Now, Signal has been used around the world. I mean, you know, back uh, when, when Trump was elected and they started saying, get off WhatsApp. I mean, Signal was just growing by leaps and bounds back then. But back then, he, um, he met Brian Acton back then, who was a co-founder of WhatsApp, and Coom and, and Jan Coom, both the, the two co-founders of WhatsApp. And, uh, and Coom, of course, was uh, he came out of the Ukraine, Soviet Ukraine, uh, under the constant threat of KGB eavesdropping. And both men immediately wanted to use Marlin Spike's protocols to protect WhatsApp for international users. So they took the Signal encrypt the end-to-end encryption platform that he developed for Signal, and they embedded it into WhatsApp. So WhatsApp has the same quality of end-to-end encryption as what Signal has. So WhatsApp precedes it, but at some point they actually strengthened. They their, strengthened it with Signal. Yeah, yeah. Now, 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 the weakness of WhatsApp is that it's owned by Facebook. And there's unencrypted inf- information that's available to Facebook, and they don't trust Facebook. They don't trust Facebook to do the right thing with their with their data. Now, in addition to WhatsApp, Facebook messaging, he embedded Signal into Facebook messaging. He embedded Signal into Google messaging. He basically now is has created the world's largest encrypted network that we've ever seen on the internet and it's essentially the standard now it's the standard now and he did it yeah. single-handedly now he set up signal the signal foundation by the way brian acton was so impressed with this um i mean brian acton said that this code is world class those are his words he said this is world class in the true sense of the word. So Brian Acton uh, funded the Signal Foundation, and and he then became a great proponent of uh, of of, moral, of of Moxie. When Brian Acton did that, I mean, there are all these articles that Brian Acton has declared war on WhatsApp, and actually he quit Facebook because he he was fed up with them. And they started, uh, they started, you know, developing the Signal Foundation. Now, the thing with the Signal Foundation, <clears throat> it's not a for-profit. It is, runs by donation only. 
because uh, Moxie did not believe if you had a for-profit company that you could be insured of the fact that you would always maintain your integrity. So this is donation only, nonprofit, open source, and he has single-handedly established the end-to-end encryption standard of the world so that he can bring the power back to the people from the government. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Moxie, Marlon Spike, otherwise known as Matthew Rosenfeld, and the creator of Signal. Pour yourself a coffee and pull up a chair because we're about to hear Doc's take on Mr. Moxie Marlin Spike. So observations from the faculty lounge next on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for observations from the faculty lounge. (laughs) Moxie Marlin Spike. Is he an anarchist or is he a hero? Well, they're not really contradictory necessarily, especially if you're an anarchist, then he is your hero. That's right. (laughs) Okay. They're not. (laughs) But let's let's get into this. Okay. In order to sort of get into Moxie's personality, let's listen to his playlist. Yeah, what does he love? What do you think he likes (laughs) here? (laughs) Ukrainian anarchist music. In Russian, by the way, because they're so anarchic that they don't care what language they're singing in, by the way. This is Ukrainian anarchy music? Yes, it is. You should say the word anarchy. Here comes the word anarchy. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. Now, in Italy, this is how they sing about anarchy. Boxy was an international anarchist, so well, he, his playlist this is, is a world, world class. <laughs> saying, we'll use the word world class playlist here. Pace, pace, ai del povero. 
Guerra, guerra, i palagi alle chiese. You know, I've never heard Italian anarchy music before. But I, you've got that Italian sound. He sounds upset about something, though, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, in Germany, this is how they sing about anarchy. That's the, the word barricade here. So Moxie Marlin Spike's ingenious code protects protects uh, text messages and calls from snoops, spies. It has privacy advocates celebrating and law enforcement crying. <laughs> Marlon Spike has quietly positioned himself at the front lines of a quarter-century-long battle between the advocates of encryption and law enforcement. Since the first strong encryption tools became publicly available in the early 90s, government has warned of the threat that the bad guys are going to go dark. Government warns that encryption software could cripple the American police departments and intelligence agencies, allowing terrorists and organized criminals to operate with impunity. Now, in 2013, Edward Snowden's leaks revealed that NSA had secretly sabotaged a widely used crypto standard in the mid-2000s and that since 2007, the agency had been using large volumes of data from tech firms' data warehouses, using it with or without their cooperation. It turns out that when we gave government the power to collect our communication data with the Patriot Act, our fears of abuse and overreach were validated. Moxie was a friend of Edward Snowden, and he said, I always believe that government should not know everything that we do. So Marlon Spike may present himself as an extra, you know, eccentric outsider, his ability, but is, who has an ability to write secure software. He has aligned himself with some of the biggest tech companies who also want to maintain privacy of the, uh, you know, away from gov government privacy. Marlon Spike has enabled the largest end-to-end -end encrypted communications network in history, transmitting more texts than every phone company in the world combined. He has protected the little man from overreaching the power of government authority. So the question is, is this good or is it bad? Is he an anarchist who is uh, trying to... Uh, fight the government, or is he a hero who's actually saving the day? And I'm telling you, I'm coming down on the side of the hero because I think the government did, in fact, overreach when they had all that power, and it just turns out that absolute power does corrupt. So Moxie Mullenspike is, maybe he's both a, 
an anarchist and a hero. Yeah, he's our musical hero, that's for that's sure. That's right. Deutschland kam für die Revolution Auf die Barrikaden, auf die Barrikaden Für den Sieg der Freien Arbeiterunion Auf die Barrikaden, auf die Barrikaden Für den Sieg der Freien Arbeiterunion Let's do Trivia of the Week. Now... You ever, have you ever looked at the power button, Andrew, on computers? That's got well, that... actually, it varies. Some computers now, these laptops, I, I have to, friend, if I'm using a friend, I was like, where's the power button? I'm already stymied at the very beginning. So actually. there's kind of a universal symbol of a power button. Now it's like a little circle with with a straight line. With Yeah. That, that's it. Now, this is actually the fourth generation of symbols on the power button uh, that we've had since the 1940s. Now, early computers just had a toggle switch. It said on, off. That was it. Then the standard was replaced fairly quickly in, in an effort to make, uh, you know, the switches more universal. The on-off, because that was very specifically English-centric, yes. they changed it to a one and a zero, where one was on and zero was off, like binary. And then we had the toggle button. So then they decided, okay, um, so then they, they, took, uh, they took the zero and they put the one in the middle of it. So you had the zero with the one on top of it, and that was the toggle button. But you know, that, that zero, in a, it just looks like a circle in a line. I never understood yeah. which is on and which is off. Yeah, and so, but that's what they did. So you had the circle and the line, and that was on off. And then we had the third, this is the fourth generation, okay. because now we have the standby mode that you can go to. So the standby mode is symbolized by the broken circle with the line. So now, now you have the, a broken circle, and the line is going through the gap in the broken circle. So the circle symbolizes off. The straight line symbolizes on. The broken symbol is standby mode. I never saw that as a successor to the zero and the one. I never noticed that. So I never that thought about the, the connection at all. the fourth generation of the on-off symbol, oh, wow. on-off button symbol. And this is just the kind of thing that you can take to a cocktail party. Yes, it is. And you can just oh, man, really am I impress use that? people, oh, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, I'm going to use that. That's right. So let's, let's take a break, and we'll come back and talk about Microsoft passwords after the break. We will do that. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers – more of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Let's talk about this big move that Microsoft has made to eliminate passwords. I'll tell you, uh, Andrew, I just do not like passwords. I have to remember so many different passwords. But this is threatening my sense of self-esteem because I actually pride myself on remembering virtually every password I've ever created. I've got like 20 or 30 in my head right now. So I'm going to feel deprived now of this ability to sort of brag to myself about how smart I am every time I, I, know. I go to something. But okay, so, so what do we do instead of having a password? So they they have uh, they're going to use something called an authenticator app. It's very interesting. You still have two factor authentication. Uh, so Microsoft is extending its passwordless sign in option for enterprise customers of their Azure Active Directory. They're extending it to Microsoft accounts on Windows 10 and Windows 11 PCs. Now it's really simple to set up if you have a Microsoft account. You have to use the Authenticator app, with a few, and in a few steps, you're passwordless. Now, what happened is the Authenticator app generates a one-time code that you use to confirm that it's you logging on. And, uh, but it gets sent to like an email account or a phone. No, number? no, it just it just it just uh, it just shows up. Uh, what it is when you when you set up the authentic. So I'm using an authentic. I, I've got a crypto wallet. I use an Authenticator app for that because I I just want to have better security. So what you do is when you log on, when you first set up the Authenticator app, say with a website, it has to pass a particular, uh, basically, a private uh, key to your Authenticator app. And so what it does, it sets up a QR code. You point your cell phone at the QR code. It, it passes that, and it sets up the Authenticator app. Then when you want to log into the website, uh, they ask you for a code from the Authenticator app. The Authenticator app takes that private code, combines it with the current time, generates a new code, and sends it in. And then the website knows that it's you because only you could create that complicated code through the Authenticator app. So, so for instance, on my, on my crypto account, I, you know, I'd set it up with my cell phone. Then I wanted to, I wanted to go and look at it on the, uh, on the desktop. I had to set up the Authenticator app before they would allow me to do that. There was there was no other way to do that. So this Authenticator app is really the way we're going to go, and it's uh, and it's going to be a much better world when we do not have passwords. I'll tell you, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk@stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. I'd also like you to go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out our programs in business, accounting, IT, cybersecurity, uh, culinary arts, hospitality. And when you uh, check out those programs, tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.